Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. It's in the Scottish government's interest, not just to protect, obviously, public services, but also to show further divergence from the rest of the UK. It does show the sort of strain that the market is under this winter. The other factor playing into all this is Brexit. Neither political party will even contemplate relaxing EU migration. This is the elephant in the room, isn't it? You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme. So today we are talking about the economy as it's the day that we've got an update on GDP figures. But a story caught my eye this morning on the inflation front. So we don't get inflation numbers for next week, but we know it's a big priority. Rishi Sunak listed it as one of his five priorities this year to see inflation cut in half. Um, and our colleague Conrad Quilty Harper has been writing about the price of a haircut for men in London and uh, noting that London barber shops are now advertising haircuts at over £100. Now, I would argue perhaps he's not going to the best places if he's getting... £100. He was pointing to a place called Truefit and Hill on Pall Mall, London, which is now trying charging £110 for a cut and beard trim. Their price <laughs> has gone up 22% from 2020. I don't so, pay quite that much, uh, but it is one of the things that we are seeing prices rise in. Yes, to which every woman in London has just guffawed and laughed and said, yeah, join the club. Uh, don't think you can get much in, by way of a... You don't get much hair removed for <laughs> 100 quid, is that what no, you're saying? for 100 quid in a women's salon, I don't think you get very far. But, um, yeah, I, I love the hardwood floors, the vintage feel it, of this Palm Hall It, it does look lovely. I mean, down on the high street close to where I live, it's more like 10 quid. Um, the price you'll be clean to hear. So there's also um, Harrods and Joe and Co. and Soho charging £125 oh. and £98 uh, for haircuts there. Both prices include a beer and a whiskey and Adam adds an ear flame to burn oh. off unsightly ear hairs. <laughs> you know, okay, perhaps I shouldn't that's... have read that far down in that story. Anyway, it's on, it's on, um, there's another website if you'd like to take a look. Inflation hits London barber shops. Um, so oh, there you go. There's... Also, I think the, the transition to our next guest is going to be a little bit difficult because Dan is absolutely sure and you have uh, got a very closely cropped haircut. So I wonder whether you are £100. I was going to say, you've got the wrong person in the studio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a I know nothing about the cost of a barber. I do it all at home. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, that won't affect you. But uh, other things will. And of course, you're a man who knows all about the economic data. So look, we did manage to avoid um, a recession, at least for now, November saw a little bit of growth. So that's why we wanted to bring you into the studio, our senior UK economist, Dan Hansen, of course, if you don't recognise the dulcet tones. Um, It was all about the World Cup. It was, yeah. I mean, I think it was a surprise. I mean, we were were looking for a 0.1% contraction. I think consensus was looking for a 0.2% contraction. And you've sort of hit the nail on the head there. I think it's more likely than not now that we won't have, at least defined as a technical recession, two consecutive quarters of negative growth at the end of 2022. I think this year is still um, a slightly different story. There are there are still these big headwinds for the mm. UK economy. But I think big picture here is that the sort of if you sort of look at peak to trough 
the size of the drop in GDP that we're likely to see, yeah, it's it's looking like it's going to be very very shallow. Um, and you know, I think the broader picture at the start of twenty twenty three is is a lot more positive than a lot of people are even said it towards the end of 2022 and particularly towards or sorry during September and October of 2022 where we sort of really hit peak pessimism around the UK so I think it's I think it's a good news story and if you combine it with what's been going on with gas prices and energy prices that's yeah, a really coming down that's really, a really, really you know that that as well those two things combined and I think there's sort of some some rare but very welcome upside news for the UK outlook. Yes, the, the World Cup factor was that people were spending more money on hospitality, which helped the consumer-facing services. Which well, we weren't sure whether that would happen because it was in you know the middle of winter and it was in that really cold snap. Then it got warm again. Yes. Where better to wait out a cold snap than in the pub? I guess. <laughs> um, what about the impact of strikes, which is, of course, one of the major themes that we had in November? What did we learn about the impact of strikes on, on growth and the economy? So I think with the strikes, I mean, it's very, very difficult to tease out exactly uh, what it's going to do and what it has done so far. I mean, our our best guess, and it is, it's very uncertain, is that it, the impact is going to be relatively limited. If you look at the ONS data for labour disputes, um, and if you look at that against GDP, the sort of the the correlation isn't that tight. I mean, there, you can see some obvious evidence in the 70s, but we haven't. Um, we're not sure you're going to see a really obvious impact now. At least an impact that you can sort of extract from the from the macro data. But it's it, it's definitely a downside risk, mm. as is the weather. In fact, add it add that to add that to the list of downside risks when you're thinking about December and moving into January. And now, of course, just one thing to add, of course, around the strikes is. We don't know how long they're going to continue, but mm. activity will return to normalish levels once the strikes end. So it is a temporary. We do lose output is lost, mm. but the level of output does return to sort of normal because train drivers go back to work and carry on. You know the GVA, the GDP that they produce, um, the level of GDP rises back to what they were doing before. So you get you do you do potentially get a temporary hit, and it could be bigger than we've assumed, but. Uh, it's um it's not there in the data at least at the moment. Is that partly because people are working from home? Is that some of the things that yeah, eases it? Or? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's that people have through the pandemic, people got used to being more flexible with their working patterns. Of course, there and and also economic activity gets displaced. So, for example, cities take um, the brunt of strikes, particularly the stri- the train strikes. But of course, activity then um, moves out to towns and rural areas when people are at home and they'll go and buy a sandwich in their local shop rather than somewhere in the city for example so there are a lot of factors that contribute to it but I think you're right that the the working from home point is a, is a key point and why particularly around the trains it might not be as damaging as it has been in the past mm, okay so that that's kind of nice and and it's quite um a turn up for the political books isn't it if the economy is not quite as dire um, as we were thinking in terms of growth. But then on this inflation print, the data that will get out next week, again, this is, we said it, Rishi Sunak's top pledge. It's the main focus. Um, surveys show that economists think that CPI will actually slow to 10.5%, uh, still double digits. Yep. What does that mean for interest rate rises from the Bank of England and so on? Yeah, so we think it's going to slow. We think it's going to slow a little bit more than that, um, CPI next week. But yeah, you're right. It's still double digits. It's very uncomfortable. I mean, the broader picture on inflation this year, 
I think is going to be one of a pretty sharp deceleration. And there's a really big question, going back to the point I made about natural gas prices, as to whether the government does decide to increase the energy price cap again in April. Because if it doesn't, um, and gas prices, I should sort of uh, add some flavour around that. The gas prices at the moment are consistent with um, the off-gem price cap remaining around £2,500 annually from the summer. So the idea of raising the cap to £3,000, which is what Jeremy Hunt announced in in uh, November. That's looking so, quite generous. Well, well, it sounds, I mean, it sounds silly to, to yeah. lift it to £3,000. Why not keep it at £2,500 um, when it's not going to cost you very much money and it's going to boost the economy? And most importantly, going back to your point about inflation, knock a significant chunk off the inflation numbers over the next year. And if your goal is to halve inflation, um, it seems like a no-brainer to me that they would do that. But I think, just going, and going to your point about the bank, yes, lower inflation really good in the near term. But one thing to remember with this, of course, is that if the economy is holding up a little bit better, if we're not getting this as big a real income squeeze from from rising gas prices, then actually the labour market and underlying inflation is likely to be a little bit stronger. So the bank's going to be worried about that. So it's a reason to think that at least this sort of idea that they would um, flip to cuts and thinking about a dovish, um, a dovish pivot that's going to be a long way off if the economy continues to hold off. They're going to sort of continue to lift rates, but they're going to keep them high for a long time um, until they see like real evidence that the labour market is loosening in the official data. We've seen some of it in the surveys, but I think they want to see it in the official data. Yeah, and one of the issues that we had a warning about this week linked to high interest rates is the risk of mortgage defaults. Three quarters of a million people at risk of defaulting on their mortgage this year. I mean, how much will that you know, play, play into the overall economic picture, or how are they interrelated? I suppose. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's really important too, of course. And you know that that's going to be. It might end up being that monetary. This is a sort of monetary policy-led recession, stroke, slowdown in the economy, and the real income impact just isn't as big as people had been been expecting. I think one thing around around rates is um, the sort of financial stability side of the bank worries about. Um, rates going beyond a certain point and I think that sort of level is around 5% and I think that obviously will feed back to the, what the Monetary Policy Committee is thinking and we had a warning from the bank in November that they didn't think rates would go as high as 5.2% which is what markets were, were thinking at the time but I think it all comes and is linked to this idea that beyond a certain point households in particular get into a lot of stress um, if rates yes. go beyond a certain point and I think I think for the bank, um, and we've heard this off of Deputy Governor John Cunliffe, I think the 5% level is the level that they're, they're worried about rates yes. going beyond because that goes to your point, Stephen, that you get this big, big distress essentially um, in for households and you, get, you end up making the, the recession far, far worse than it needs to be. Yeah, that was the warning from the FCA, from the regulator. Um, so, you know, and a lot depends on how, whether those people lose jobs. And I think, you know, if you think about it from the political lens, that's also quite important um, distress within households, what that means for the government. Dan, thanks so much for being with us. Always great to have you on, even though I hope you will we'll take it on the chin that we teased you about haircuts. Senior UK economist Dan Hansen. There. But Dan bringing us good news yes. for once in the economic yes. front. I don't say for once. I mean, there has been other good economic news.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The Prime Minister is visiting Scotland for the first time since taking power, holding a private meeting with Nicola Sturgeon uh, on Thursday. Will this pairing be any less frosty than Sturgeon and Johnson or Sturgeon and Truss? Well, joining us now is Bloomberg's Rodney Jefferson in Edinburgh. Rodney, great to have you with us. How big a deal was this meeting? Uh, It seems more significant than usual. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, given relations between her and Johnson uh, were always, as you put, very frosty. And then Liz Truss very notably said that Sturgeon is somebody who should be ignored. Um, It was hard for Sunak to do any worse, really. So it's good optics. It's it's an olive branch. Um, There's a photograph doing the rounds of them sort of smiling at the camera. Um, I think the question is whether there's going to be any difference in in substance. Um, I mean, it's not like Sunak 
is going to give Sturgeon what she wants any more than Truss would have or Johnson did. Yeah, I mean, blimey, that's quite a low bar, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Sturgeon called the meeting perfectly constructive and cordial. Um, I suppose, yes, it's one up on on Liz Truss, who didn't even really want to deal with Nicola Sturgeon, it, it would seem. So then in terms of where there might be any progress and indeed the kind of ongoing disagreements, those areas remain the same in terms of the kind of difficulties? Well, absolutely. Also, the ball, when it, well, when we're talking about the independence referendum, which is obviously the big picture here, right? That's, yeah. the, you know, always the thing that's hanging over the UK. There's, um, there's not a lot the UK government needs to do at the moment. I mean, the ball is back in Sturgeon's court. Uh, the SNP are holding a special conference to sort of plan the way forward. I think that's coming in March. Um, so Sunat doesn't really need to go there, you know. Um, the, well, that's after the Supreme more... Court decision, isn't it? Because thank you. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah effectively, the, the government. Decision. Yeah, the government can't hold, um, or Sturgeon's government can't hold a new independence referendum. So that is sort of off the cards, as it were, off the table. Yeah, and she said that, that, you know, she'll make the next UK election uh, a de facto independence referendum in Scotland, which would obviously require the SNP to win a majority of the vote, not just a majority of the seats. So it's difficult to see how that's going to work. So there's not a lot the UK government, you know, needs to do. They can, I mean, they've always, you know, apart from just, you know, dismissing it out of hand, they've always wanted to play the long game. Um, the, the, the public narrative has been, let's see how Brexit unfolds. Brexit's going to work for Britain, et cetera, et cetera, and not just for England. Um, there are sort of, I mean, t- today, for example, in terms of the, the, the constructive element that you mentioned, there was a, a news that came out this morning that, on green ports, for example, which was a joint um, announcement by the UK and Scotland. You know, so that there's that, like bits of progress there. I mean, the main things the main thorny issues aside from the independence referendum in sort of more like current detail would be things like strike action. Uh, I read in the Herald, for example, they were reporting that Sturgeon had criticized Sunak's uh, move on, um, uh, on, on basically removing certain, as she put it, removing certain workers' rights uh, in the, in the, in the new legislation on, on strike action. And she criticized that, you know, saying it would put pour more fuel onto the fire. And then the other big thing that is coming is the is the gender recognition bill that Scotland passed on December the 22nd, which was probably one of the most controversial bills that's ever been passed in the Scottish Parliament. Um, long debates, you know, protests, um, mm. interventions all along in the run up as the bill was going through Parliament from the likes of J.K. Rowling. Um, and that is due to become law, I believe. It's 28 days or four weeks normally. It goes to the royal assent after it was passed on December the 22nd. So that's sort of coming yeah. next week, perhaps. And well, that's it. You know, you know, Sunak has been critical of it and says he needs to look at. I mean, this morning again, it was it was saying on 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 BBC that um, that uh, you need to look at the impact on the rest of the UK, and there could be. I personally probably think it's unlikely, but they could be a nuclear option where the UK intervenes and stops this law um, either through the Supreme Court or just through a section, what's called a Section 35, which is just a sort of 
you know, uh, uh, you know, bin it basically, stop it going through. Uh, that's that not something be, they've. They, yeah. It's not something that gets used um, very much or at never all. Never been used fact. before. Yeah, never been used before. And that you imagine you've got. So you've got the impasse over what Sturgeon says is Scotland's right to an independence referendum, and then you have this intervention. I mean, that would be huge. Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you don't see it as particularly likely because. Um, you know, the way that it's been talked about sometimes in the in the press in London is that it's sort of ripe for a culture war type argument, you know, pitting London against Edinburgh. But but you say that maybe that that flashpoint might not happen. I mean, it's the deadline is next week. Yeah, I don't. I, again, it, obviously it could happen. I just it, it would just be I just think we should flag it as something that if it were to happen, it would be hugely significant and okay. um whether the uk wants to go there uh, beyond just examining the potential impact and we have to remember as well is that you know within that culture war that you mentioned again between um you know scotland and the rest of the uk there was also an element of that here too it wasn't just that yes. this law went through everyone applauded it and it's like right okay look at us uh, scotland's different again more progressive than the rest of the uk there was a lot of there was a lot of wrangling here Mm. Okay, well, one to watch going into next week as well. Rodney Jefferson in Edinburgh, thank you so much for joining us uh, with the latest on that story. Yeah, really fascinating. Uh, Those couple of days that Rishi Sunak uh, was up in Scotland. Now, I want to turn our attention to the Royal Mail. Bloomberg has learnt that a criminal hack uh, was behind the cyber attack on the Royal Mail this week that actually shot its ability to send international letters and parcels. Our cybersecurity reporter, Ryan Gallagher, uh, joins us for more on this story. Ryan, with all the strikes going on in the UK, hard to tell that there was another issue, uh, you know, preventing deliveries as normal. But just tell us about how bad this attack was and what we've managed to learn about who was behind it. Hi there, good morning. Yeah, it was actually a a really bad um, example of one of these so-called ransomware cases where a group of criminal hackers basically breaks into an organization's computer network and encrypts the computers, meaning it basically locks all the files that are stored on the computers so they can't be used and then demands money to unlock the computers. and this happened to, to Royal Mail in, in the last few days, we understand, and the, the hackers got into uh, a system that Royal Mail calls a, a dispatch documentation system that it uses to process international mail. And it's basically completely crippled this system, um, me- meaning that Royal Mail can't um, post, post mail out of the UK to any overseas destination, which is obviously causing massive disruption. And currently they are working to try and resolve it. Royal Mail won't tell us uh, whether they're considering paying the ransom. Um, we know that they're working with the UK's National Cybersecurity Centre to get some expert help, but it's really, really causing them massive problems. And we know they're still working on it, trying to figure out a way to resolve this and get back to normal operations. And in terms of who's behind it, what have you learned about that? Yeah, we, we discovered yesterday that, um, first of all, Royal Mail had been calling it a, a cyber incident. They weren't actually confirming they had been hacked. It was a bit unclear. But yesterday we were able to verify that they were actually hacked. And it, it was a, a gang that goes by the name Lockbit. 
Um, it's basically a kind of a, a criminal operation. Um, they have lots of different hackers who are involved with them, and they target, you know, dozens of different uh, companies and organizations in the same way to try and extort money out of them. Um, this group has in the past been linked to, to Russia. They have uh, hackers who tend to be based in that part of the world. They, they say on their own website, most of their um, affiliates, as they refer to the, themselves, are in um, former Soviet Union countries, and they don't tend to attack any organizations within the Soviet Union. They they prioritize um, companies that are in like the US and and, and Europe. Um, so that, that's what we know about them. They're an extremely prolific criminal gang. Last year, they were the most active um, ransomware group. There are dozens of these groups. This one is one of the most prolific and dangerous. Yeah. Um, they, also, they also targeted an NHS contractor last year, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And The Guardian also this week uh, and a number of other businesses suffering cyber attacks as well. Thank you so much for being with us, Ryan. Really great to have you on the programme. Our cybersecurity reporter, Ryan Gallagher there. Uh, just a brief word on what we're thinking about for next week um, uh, in terms of uh, Parliament. Second reading of the government's controversial anti-strike law. I think that's going to be very interesting. We'll no doubt be discussing that when it happens on Monday. Yeah, Andrew Bailey, the Governor of the Bank of England, is giving evidence on Monday to the Treasury Select Committee as well. Expect lots of questions about inflation and how the Bank of England is going to cope with those high mortgage rates and the risk of defaults that we heard that warning a little bit earlier in the programme as well about how people are struggling to pay their mortgages given to given the high interest rates. Of course, that's all part of a bigger picture of trying to bring down uh, the rapidly rising cost of living. Yeah, and... And Rishi Sunak will face a test on Tuesday because his backbenchers are set to rebel potentially against the online safety bill. So those are some of the topics uh, that we'll cover. And also that possibility of a veto against Scotland's gender recognition bill. That's another big story that could happen next week. So we won't, we won't be looking for things to talk about. I think <laughs> no. it'll be all handed to us. And of course, there's the World Economic Forum in Davos kicking off oh, yes. uh, on Monday as well. Plenty of big interviews all across Bloomberg. We'll bring you some of the highlights on Bloomberg Daybreak and of course on this programme as well. Okay, that's it for us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe. Give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Wilcock. Marufal Hussain was on sound. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more on Monday. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.